0: Alright guys, welcome back to the True Christian Ministry TikTok live streams, I guess. I don't know, I'm going to have to come up with a name for this. Uh, we are live on TikTok, but as promised, we are recording these for you guys listening on Spotify and Apple. So, uh, if you're listening there, thank you so much. Uh, make sure you hit and subscribe and... um Yeah, now I'm going to get into the live stream. All right, guys, what's up, man? Uh, Yeah, it's Sunday. Y'all know how I like to do it on Sundays. I like to come live. I'm going to turn off the comments. We're going to read the Word of God. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, So if you're looking for arguments or debates, or if you're a non-believer and you came in here to try and prove something, uh, this is not the location for it. Um, It's just not. We we, we don't want to play that game right now. Um, So we are here to preach the Word of God. We are here to uh, uplift each other. In Christ, and we are here to just really reflect on our Lord and Savior. Um, Again, I will repeat in case anybody's wondering, because people have asked, like, where's that, you know, what happened with you and that Jake guy? The video is up on YouTube. I have attempted to post highlights of it on TikTok now for two days straight, and um, it won't finish processing. Like, I don't know what's going on at all. Like, I've re-uploaded it several times, several times, and it seems to just uh, I don't know, it, TikTok's acting goofy as always. Um, No, no, it, it, it uploads it, but then it sits there processing. So in, ca- in case you guys don't make videos on TikTok or a lot of them, um, when you upload it, it always goes through a processing phase, but that usually lasts like five seconds. And the longest I've had it go is like 10 to 15 minutes on something that's like maybe got some words in it that the algorithm catches. I don't know what it might be. But um, my videos have been sitting there with zero views in the processing status for like 24 hours. Actually like 27 hours now. Never seen that before. It's mind-blowing. But oh well, we'll see. Um, but all right, guys. Comments going off because, like I said, people are gonna come in here and they're gonna come in here and be like, "Oh, I'm here to tell you that I'm I'm the teacher and I know everything and blah 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 blah." Uh, that's not what this is for. Let's dive into the Word of God, guys. So, if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes and you want to follow along, you can tune. I mean, uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter five. Same thing with you guys on TikTok. Um, and the reason I wanted to start here is because you know, Luke four, we see the temptation of Jesus. Sorry, I just realized my microphone is a little bit backwards. We see the temptation of Jesus, and then uh, right after that, he begins his ministry. He begins actually walking, because a lot of people know that, you know, he he starts his ministry at 30 years old, and I have to remind myself often that the people listening might not have this base foundational understanding, and if you have that, and you're listening like, duh, Mike, we know, we have to remember that there are people that don't, so let's just talk about it for a second. Um, Jesus does not begin his ministry until the age of 30. Now, There are people out there that try and take this and then try and twist it around and be like, well, what he was doing in those missing years is he was in India or he was becoming a Buddhist, or uh, this, this, and that. And you know, humans, we love to have conspiracy theories. We love to try and make stuff up. No, for Jesus's first 30 years, he was living as a person. God came into the flesh to experience our lives and what we go through. And Hebrews tells us that he does this so he could be the perfect high priest. Because as a high priest, you're a representative of a group of people. And to be a representative, you should be able to relate to them. I apologize. Uh, I might edit that out for y'all listening. Maybe not. Who cares? You wanted me to record this, you're going to get it exactly how it comes. But um, as I was saying before my son came in here to say hi to you guys So for 30 years, Jesus was living the life as a human and this is why when you see him begin to walk in his ministry You see people saying in the scriptures. Isn't that Jesus? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't he the carpenter like they call him a carpenter as well? Isn't he the one uh, you know, aren't those his brothers and sisters? They know him There's a reason why he knows who Lazarus is he knows who uh, Mary uh, not Mary his mother, but the Mary and Miriam. He knows these people he has been living in the flesh, not telling it. He doesn't. He's not revealing anything. He's just living, right? The only people that know is most likely his mom and Joseph, right? That's the only way, only people that I would assume know. But we don't know that information. And if we don't know that information, we also have to understand that that means God did not intend us to need that information. People love to, like, I get it if you're not a Christian and you want to search out crazy information because you don't trust God in the first place. As Christians... It's crazy. We, we, there are Christians out there that claim to be Christians, but then treat things as if they believe in a weak God, right? So you got Christians that doubt God's ability to preserve His word. Uh, you got Christians that will go looking for hidden revelation without reading His known revelation. Uh, you got Christians that think that there's things hidden, and like I said, like this. God gave us what we need. At the end of the Gospel of John, it literally says that there's lots of things Jesus did we can't write down. In fact, I believe John says you could not write down everything Jesus said and did in all the books of the world, right? But he says this was written so that you may believe and have life, right? So God gave us what we need. Could there be so much more that Jesus did and taught? Absolutely. But this is why we understand. This is why we are sola scriptura because God knows what we need for salvation. So let's go ahead and turn to Luke five. It opens up by saying, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of the Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out, gone out of them, and were washing their nets. So they're finishing up their day, right? Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. So here goes Jesus getting into this boat. They don't know him, by the way. You can tell this because he's he's meeting these people right now. And it says he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Um, and when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, I want you to understand something. Whatever Jesus was just teaching from his boat already has Simon talking about master. Already calling a master. I wonder what Jesus taught there. Because again, we don't know everything Jesus taught because like John said, he could fill up all the books of the world if we wrote down all the amazing things Jesus taught. I I imagine that in eternity, we will all be crowded around uh, listening to everything and just always being surprised at how amazing he is. So it says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking away. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And I have to stop myself right now because I got sidetracked before we started reading the scriptures because my son came in here. So I apologize. I I wanted to pray before we jump into the scriptures. So I apologize that we started already. So, but if you guys don't mind... I'm just going to pray for for a moment before we dive into these scriptures. Um, Heavenly Father, please forgive me for having a lapse in, in, in just remembering to thank you and ask you to be with us while we read these scriptures. Uh, I ask that you give discernment to all those listening, whether live or recorded, and help guide those through the scriptures so that they're not dependent on anyone other than you and your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit moves through them, guides them, and keeps them in line with your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, guys, back to it. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I think this is a beautiful moment in scripture. I know um, for those of you that watch The Chosen, a lot of people are probably thinking about that scene because, yes, I've watched The Chosen, so I know that they do this scene. Um, and I know that a lot of people, when you hear the Bible, you start thinking about those scenes, which be careful with that. You don't, wanna, you don't want that face to become Jesus's face. But um, it is a beautiful moment, though, so I understand why they did that scene, right? You see, again, you see Simon here, who will be known as Peter eventually. Uh, Luke is obviously putting Simon Peter in here because writing this after the fact. But Simon sees this teacher just appear, you know, start teaching something amazing. He, he he trusts him after this teaching and says yes i will i will do that i will we will cast the nets even though i doubt anything's going to happen but you said do it we do it more fish than they can control boats start to sink and he falls down and says depart from me for i am a sinful man o lord let me tell you something that i love about peter in the scriptures peter is the first to 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 really admit a lot of things that we 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 should all be focused on he's the first one that has the confession saying, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's he's a man that walks, says this to Jesus. I mean, just think about this. This is literally what repentance is about. People think repentance is, you know, forgive me. No, no, that's sorrow, right? And, and the Bible says godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Repentance is that change, recognizing who you are and turning from it. And this is the beginning of that. This is that sorrow this is that uh, grief recognizing I'm a sinful man you I shouldn't even be in your presence you know when we talk about believing in Jesus I, I you might have heard me say it before but I think this is what I need to really focus on I, I never really incorporate this but this is part of that faith. It's not just saying yeah Jesus died for the sins of the world it's my sins. I am a sinful man oh Lord. I don't deserve you Lord. it's that recognition we see that in Romans 4 as well in Romans 4 it says, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Notice Paul doesn't just write for the one that believes in him. He says, believes in him who justifies the ungodly, meaning I believe that he justifies the ungodly, which, which I mean, hand in hand here, I'm the ungodly. That's my recognition of that. Like, he justifies those like me, for we are not enough. Someone asked me earlier in my comment section, they said, Mike, what do I do And I feel like God doesn't trust me anymore because I always let him down. I said to him, you're in luck because God never trusted you to begin with. And that's why it's called grace. You can't let down God because God doesn't put his trust in you. He tells you to put your trust in him. You can't let down God and l- break his trust because he, never, he knows exactly who you are. But before the foundation of the world, he loved you. Mike, how does that work? Did he choose me? Are people destined to this? I don't know how any of it works, but I know that God's not a liar and he says he's known you before you drew breath. That's the truth. How any of it works beyond that. People would rather get focused on how does it work and what is it, is God fair? Like, first of all, you can't determine fair if you don't even understand how it works. (laughs) Like, I can't, like, imagine me watching a cricket game trying to determine what's fair. Bro, I don't even know what's happening. First of all, why, why are they holding these paddles? I don't even understand. And I think God's existence is a little bit beyond cricket. Although, although... From what I see when I look at cricket, I mean, cricket's probably up there with some of the most confusing things ever, to exist ever. I know I have a lot of foreign listeners, so they're probably just upset with me right now. (laughs) My bad, guys. I don't understand it. I don't. I look at it. It makes absolutely no sense. Let's keep reading. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, if you're reading along with me, get your highlighter and and highlight left everything and followed him. Because I want you to think about what just happened. Jesus talking to these fishermen that that that's their living says cast your net and then they get enough to sink boats and then the scripture says they left everything and followed him this was a moment where you take that fish you go sell that fish you got lots of money you're chilling but they sold, they le- They left everything. It's it's crazy, God blessed them not to give them the blessing, but to set their eyes on the one who gives the blessing. And so they just said, oh cool, I saw it, don't care about it now, I care about you. But there are people today that have their eyes on the blessing, they're looking for the blessing, and when the blessing comes, if the blessing comes, that's what their eyes are set on. God's not here to give you blessings to make you happy. The reason God does things like gives blessings and performs miracles is never to give you something in in the temporal world. Like, I don't know if people realize this, but healings are not just to heal, but they are to bring people to the truth. If me being healed was necessary for someone else to believe, then I would believe God will heal me. But if my healing will bring nobody to the Lord, I don't believe God's going to heal me. And that's not a shot against God. It's because I don't care about the physical body. The only reason I would want God to do anything miraculous to this physical body is if it benefits others. And at the same time, sometimes the lack of giving you a blessing benefits others. See, a lot of people think that that miracle is what you're looking for. But what if God is saying, "Hey, people might come to people will come to faith by watching and seeing how strong your faith is during tribulation, during trials." So you want God to deliver you out of the trial not realizing he's smarter than you and maybe what he wants is that others can see you pushing through the trial and saying that's not that person. I know that person. They would never have been like that in the past. Something's different about them. Something is absolutely different about them. The old Mike running the streets, gang banging, not caring about nothing and now he's doing this, this and that. That's not about miracles. It's about change. Jesus says in John 15, to glorify my father, bear fruit and prove to be my disciple. But yet, people get so caught up on seeking things for self. Satan, hey look, I I, I hate him just like you, right? I'm not giving Satan no props, but I want to say this though. We underestimate his wisdom because what he has done is he's played a long game on the American church to where we have looked at the extremes like, as long as I'm not that over there. Ooh, look at Joe Osteen. I, I'm not that. Oh my goodness. Look at Joyce Meyer. Look at T.D. Jakes. I'm not that. He sets his little uh, uh, distractions so that he can slip slip his little snakes into your church too. But they're not extreme. But it's still about I. It's still about me. And it's, it's so ingrained. That when I speak about it, I'll have people that'll still come in my comment section saying, God doesn't want us to, you know, this, this, and that. It's okay to pray for financial relief. And I'm not sitting here saying you can't be talking to the Lord about financial struggles. What I say is, if the main reason why you talk to the Lord is about money, then your God is money. If the main reason I talk to, my, uh, to God is about my wife only then maybe I'm idolizing my wife. This doesn't just go for money. But if, you, if you're if you not turning to God just because he's God, but you only turn to God when things get rough, you're either trying to create a genie or there's something you're idolizing that only that causes you to turn to him. I know people that won't open a Bible, but you tell them that tithing, tithing isn't biblical. They'll become scholars to go ahead and find a way to protect their money. And then they'll tell me like, Mike, Tithing's not for us. I'm like, congratulations. You, you did some Bible study. Here's the bad news, though. Your sinful heart is why you did that Bible study, and the Lord knows that. Because you didn't do that to, to find out, is tithing for us? Because you didn't do that for uh, tattoos. You didn't do that for uh, any other Levitical laws. You didn't do that to learn about the covenants. You did that for money and money only. I hope y'all are understanding what I'm saying. I'm not saying tithings for today either. I'm, t- I'm proving a point that if that's what it took, hold on, if that's what it took for you to open the Bible up, well, guys, that's, think about that. I, I always tell you guys, pay attention to the why and not the what. Why are you doing things? What? Why is that the, the decision you make? Why, why, why? You will learn so much more when you learn about the why. Let's keep going. Verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Something so powerful here. And guys, if you're new here, this is how I read the Bible. We stop. We we, we analyze sentences. So yes, I'm sorry. If you thought we were just going straight through, that's not what we're doing today. Immediately upon seeing Jesus, he falls to his face, begs him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There are so many small things in scripture we can learn from. Look at just the way this man approaches God. He doesn't say, Lord, if you will, can you please? He says, you can. I know you can. I have no doubts. It's up to you if you will. And that's it. Leave it at that. Lord, I believe. And if it be your will. Cause there's nothing he can't do. Sometimes I think also we that live in a more more spoiled civilization. I mean, in America, man, we're so spoiled, man. Today in church, I'm just looking around and I'm looking at us in our comfortable clothes and we're warm and just I'm just it, it, I'm always like, oh my goodness, we're so spoiled. But one thing I have to remember though is God is not stretched thin on His capabilities. So yes, there are people that have bigger needs than us, but that's not a reason. Again, Satan has convinced some of us that hey. God's not, hey, God's got way more important things to do than you. Your problems are, you're good. Don't let, don't let Satan tell you that. God cares about all your problems because he's a father. And just as much as my son just annoyed me when he came in here because he was asking me the dumbest question in the world, I love him. Yeah, when he walks out the room, he's going to be like, Ugh. but I love him to death. And our Father cares about your problems. He's not stretched thin. Yes, there are children dying of hunger, malnourishment, uh, dysentery. Yes. And we should be praying for them. But just because they they exist doesn't mean God doesn't want to hear that you're struggling and that you need Him. He's not stretched thin. And believe it. Believe that He answers prayers. And sometimes what you don't realize is his answers aren't in the physical, they're in the eternal because a good father sometimes gives you a gift that won't pass away. Anything he gives you in the physical will fade away when this earth fades away. For all you know, the the times you think God said no, he was really stacking up your presence up in heaven when you get there. You asked, I had it for you, I was waiting for you. Don't let the lack of seeing something before you think your father said no. Do you think Jesus would teach you how to pray and then uh, teach you how to pray a prayer that God doesn't listen to? When Jesus says, pray these words, do you think he taught you a prayer that doesn't work? When when it says the spirit intercedes on your behalf, do you think the father says no to the spirit when the spirit knows what you need? The truth is you're just looking for the wrong thing sometimes or you don't actually believe he'll give it to you. And and, and I'm going to be honest with you. If you don't believe he's gonna give it to you, why should he give it to you? Because you're not gonna truly thank him for it when you get it, because you're gonna do this. The people that don't actually believe in their prayers, let me tell you what happens when your prayers get answered. You always hit the like, yeah, it's, it, it probably wasn't him, but like, man, that's awesome, right? You get this like, you, you, you're you scared to boast in the fact that your Lord heard you and answered you, so like this humility, I guess, you're like, well, you know, it's great consequence, no. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I asked and I received, bring glory to my God. Ask and believe. So that way, instead of sitting there waiting and wondering, will he answer, be a watchman and wait for his answer. So that way you can glorify him when the answer comes. Go back and look at Elijah. When Elijah prayed about the rain, he prayed and then he kept sending his servant. And every time his servant came back, he said, no, 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 go back. Because he knew God's going to answer me. I don't know when. That's God's time. But it's going to happen. Trust your Lord. Again, I'm not saying you'll get a yes on everything because there's many times you'll get a no. But the no's aren't always what you think. The no's come a certain way. I love what James says. He says, you ask, but you ask amiss. Asking for things to spend on your worldly passions. I've said this before in live streams, but there are certain things that you're praying for right now that if you received it, it would actually push you further away from God. I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you right now are praying for something that you don't realize would distract you from the kingdom, distract you from God. Do you think a loving God would give that to you? Why would he let you drive yourself away from him? Seek first the kingdom of God and then and all righteousness, and then all things will be provided to you. Don't listen to these Mike Todds and T.D. Jakes or whatever their names are saying, seek the all things. God wants to give you the all things. No, 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 no. He wants you to seek first the kingdom of God and then he will give you all things. He rewards his obedient children with love just like you reward your obedient children. My disobedient children, I still love them, but I don't reward them. If if my oldest son walked in here seven times and I kept saying, get out, and then on the eighth time he walked in and said, Dad, can I borrow $10? Do you think I'm gonna give him $10? Do you think I'm gonna bless him? And we can take it away from financial blessings. Let's say he says, Dad, can I have some extra video game time? No. Sit down and listen. Maybe, maybe you're not waiting on God to answer. Maybe, just maybe, God's waiting on you to be obedient. Maybe God is sitting in the chair next to you saying, son, daughter, sit down, please. Just sit still. You're in the waiting room. You're a kid bouncing over the place. Or you're in the, in, the, in, the, in the grocery store saying, daddy, I want the Skittles. Please throw in a temper tantrum. You don't realize it. And yet, God's just waiting on you to just shh and listen. It's not always, we're never waiting on God. It's never us waiting on God. Don't ever let those words come out your lips. God's timing is perfect, so you can't wait on him. If he ain't here, it's not time yet. <laughs> let me stop. You know, I can get caught. All that because he said, Lord, if you will, can You you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will. And then he said, be clean. I'm sorry, but we were talking about James. And the way that verse goes, I have to talk about one more thing. In James let me turn over to James so he says if you will right and and the reason that makes me think of James is because in James 3 there's a certain passage that it's been stuck in my head for a while now and I think the reason is because I get so many people that ask me Mike I'm worried about the rapture Mike, I'm scared what do I do how do you get through how do you go day by day worrying about these things and, and it's crazy because I've never had this fear of rapture end dates. I mean I know there's people in here that love to talk about it because it is a clickbait central. Like if I know it is people love conspiracy theories. If I was to make a video and say what if I told you Lucifer's real name was Benjamin like everybody would be like oh my goodness they love this hidden information about Satan and demons and rapture but it's so dangerous To have this idea in your head, like you will be raptured, and not that I'm not not talking about the rapture itself, I'm talking about you. It is arrogant and boasting to think that you have tomorrow. Like there's so many people from the beginning that always think I'm going to be raptured. I'm going to get caught up to the Lord. If it be God's will, do not forget that. Don't sit here and say, I don't need to plan for the future. I truly believe the reason why Christianity is in such a poor condition is because every generation of Christians has thought they would be raptured. So why would they plan for the future? Why would they set things up for the long run and build generational wealth in their Christian families and care for their grandkids when you in your mind really think, (laughs) we're not going to be here in 60 years? You want to know the secret? Live every day like Jesus might come back tonight. Plan your future like we're still the early church because you don't know when he's coming back. I want you to understand something. James 4.13, if you've been struggling with, "What what do I do, I'm stressed out about tomorrow, listen to what James says. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And it's very similar to what John says as well, if you think about it. That just reminded me, what does John say? Ooh, there's something John says that I can't think about right now. Um, it's in 1 John. I can go crazy looking for it. That sounds just like that at the end of that about... Huh, let me not go crazy. But So I want you to just focus on that, though. Don't fall into... Oh, I know I know now. John says, um, <laughs> Do not love the world or the things of the world. And then he describes the things of the world as the, uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and then the pride of life. And that pride of life is this sense of entitlement, even with your breath. Like you assume... Tomorrow's going to go smoothly. And in America, I feel like we do that a lot, like even more than others because of how safe we can be. Like there could be a, a crazy destruction words I can't say on TikTok because of algorithm happening down the street and people would be out here gardening still because that's not going to reach us. <laughs> like that's how people think. And then when it does, they're like, oh, my goodness things don't happen to us here even we live in a point we live we live in a society where like we don't even get that freaked out over some serious medical conditions you catch cancer early enough like okay cool. cuz that's great that we caught it we assume we don't just boast in tomorrow we ex- we already planned out tomorrow and yet you wonder why you're so stressed out about rapture you're worried about a day that doesn't exist yet the f- tomorrow literally only exists up here in your mind. It's make-believe land. It's... <laughs> what is that? Um, <laughs> fictional character. Is that what he said in, in, in Toy Story? It's not real yet. Focus on today. So I know that that was unrelated, but I get a lot of people that... Listen, there's a lot of people that love that. That's what, how they build their platforms. I get it. People make videos, of, especially about me, because they don't like the fact that I reject it. Um, but regardless... It's not worth stressing about. We know Jesus returns. We know Jesus wins. We know Jesus is is king. People say, well, well, the, the Bible tells you to be ready. And yes, I'm not saying don't be ready. Y'all try and take be ready to uh, be, be a participator in the thing. Like, I don't know what it's called, it, but y'all take it too far. Focus on living your life as Christ lives. So let's get back into it. Immediately after Jesus said these words, the leprosy left him. And he charged... Him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Give me one second, guys. It's hot. Let me turn on the fan. Ooh. Oh, that's going to be loud for those listening. I just hit my uh, stomach on the microphone. I'm sorry, guys. So, He tells them to tell no one. And I've made a video about this before in the past, and some people didn't like it because they were like, I don't know why. But Jesus didn't come here to make it known that he's God. People always say, why didn't Jesus just outright say, I am God, worship me? And that's what our opponents will often say. Show me where Jesus says, I am God, worship me. And that would be a cool argument if that's what Jesus' purpose was. Because if that was his purpose, then why didn't he say it? But he came to die for the sins of the world. Like, I don't know if people realize this. But if Jesus did announce that he's God and prove it, all of us are going to hell. Because who's putting God on the cross? Even if he was like, no, 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 but guys, I have to do this. I have to die on a cross. I need you guys to crucify me. Like, I feel like I'd be like, yeah, I can't do that, Lord. Like, I get you're telling me to. But this is the one time I'm going to have to say no. Like, I don't want to kill. What? So he says, tell no one. He does this a lot. In fact, at the transfiguration. One of the most clearest signs of his divinity. He says what? Tell no one about this until the Son of Man is lifted up. He said, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdraw to desolate places and pray. And we see that a lot. Jesus goes and gets that time, which shows us that God in human flesh, having to deal with some of the things that we deal with, took a lot of time and privacy to pray. He didn't feel like, I have to do everything right the second. He took his time. And that means, guys, take time. Rest. Pray. Be in prayer. Please be in prayer. I hope that all, all, all of you that claim to be Christian and, and profess to be Christian... Are praying because that's a dangerous thing to not pray because it it, it, it makes your life harder the times in my life because I'm not saying you're not Christian if you don't pray because we all go through those moments like if you've never prayed that's a whole different conversation but we all go through seasons where our, our amount that we, it's sort of like life like when you first moved out of your house you might not have called home every day but then sometimes you call home every day, right? all right you're talking to your father every day sometimes you don't talk to him because you you're embarrassed about what you've done you don't want it to come up in a conversation And sometimes we just purposely avoid these things. Same thing goes with our Heavenly Father. Don't overthink this. God calls himself the Heavenly Father for a reason. So we can approach it and understand how this relationship should be. He also calls, uh, 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 you know, Jesus is our groom and we are the bride for a reason. Like people, I don't know why, but people think like maybe he's called the bride of Christ because we have marriage. But that's the opposite. We have marriage because we are his bride. Uh, we have fathers because he is the Father. It's not the other way around, right? Um, don't let your don't let, don't let anything keep you from that conversation with him. You're never too unworthy to talk to him. You're, you're never too dirty to talk to him. let me many of you have heard me quote this before, but I really feel like this is one of those powerful little moments in, in a book for those that feel like they don't they're not worthy enough to pray so therefore they stop praying because they're unworthy. Um, so I'm just going to read it real quick. I am commuting this morning with those who believe on the name of the Son of God and in the efficacy of prayer, how do you not expect an answer? I think I hear you say one reason is my own unworthiness. How can I think that God will hear such prayers as mine? Brother, sister, let me remind you that it is not the man who prays that commends the prayer to God, but the fervency of the prayer and the virtue of the great intercessor. Did you ever read Psalms 34 and carefully consider where David was when his prayer had such good speed with God? He says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried out and the Lord, the Lord heard him. Now, where do you think David prayed that prayer? Read the heading of the Psalm. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. You recollect what he did. He played the madman and let his spittle down his beard, acted the fool, and was never more a fool except once than he was then. And yet even then in his fool's play, God heard his prayer. There is something very teaching here. you. Child of God, though you may have gone ever so far astray and played the fool, let not this keep you back from the mercy seat. It was built on purpose for unworthy sinners to come to. You are such. If God did not hear your prayers, except in your good times, we would all perish. The gates of his grace are open at night as well as at day, and sinning saints may come and find mercy as well as those who have kept their garments white. Do not, I pray to you, get into the ill habit of judging that your prayers are not heard because of your failing in spirit. Let's keep going. Through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Let's stop there for a moment because a couple things that are really important maybe you want to highlight, right? When he saw their faith, I mentioned earlier that. God's miracles weren't about the person all the time that was getting the miracle. Sometimes it was about those watching, right? And their faith was why they why he he helps their friend, right? And then the the Pharisees, you'll hear people all the time try and really act like Jesus didn't say things or do things that only God can do. But the Pharisees who understood the law better than some dude in 2023 that gets on YouTube. We're in his presence saying, whoa, whoa, who can say these things but God? Like, it's clear. And then listen what it says right after that, verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts. So they're sitting there saying, this guy is acting like something only God can do. And Jesus is in their head, literally, and knows that they're saying this. He perceives their thoughts. And he says to them, why do you question in your heart? So not only does it say he hears their thoughts, he perceives their thoughts, his first statement to him is like, hey, I know you're questioning me in your hearts. Like it's not something I heard you say, I know it. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or say rise and walk? But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. People will, (laughs) y'all know I always have to bring up eternal security. People will say like, hey, you know, now that I'm saved, you know, if I, you know, if I wanted to walk away, I could. So eternal security is faith. Let me tell you something about my Jesus. Let me tell you something about my Jesus. And I never say my Jesus, but right now I feel like I want to say my Jesus because it offends me when people say like, now that I'm in the Lord, I can walk away from him. Let me tell you about my Jesus real quick. He can look at someone who's crippled and say, stand up. And despite the cripple, he stands up and that leg is healed because his commands are listened to. He can tell Lazarus a dead body, stand up, and that dead body listens. Not a single command that Jesus gives can be, can, can, can be rejected if he doesn't want you to. So if I'm in Christ, if I'm in Christ, if I've already made my choice to give my life to Christ, if you think that I can somehow walk away from the one who has authority, that gives grace, that give, that makes you holy, that blesses the eternal life, like it blows my mind when people who claim to be Christians say these words that I can still walk away. To try and prove their doctrine. It's disgusting, to be honest with you. I can't wait till you have to give an account for every word. Imagine standing before Jesus and you're explaining the argument you had with another Christian about how, you know, that salvation that he gave us isn't actually like a guarantee and people can lose it. And then, like, the replay, like, what if Jesus hits replay and it's like you sitting there, like, well, I could walk away from Jesus if I wanted to. (laughs) I feel like Jesus gave us a sense of humor so I could see him. messing with some uh, uh, believers that went through that moment where they said stuff like that, like being at the gates like, all right, go ahead, walk away. Nah, I thought you said you could walk away. I have to do that skit. I'm gonna do a skit like that. (laughs) And it says, immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, now Levi is Matthew, um, in case you don't know, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me and leave everything. He, oh, and leaving everything, he he rose and followed him. So there goes another one. We saw Simon Peter earlier. They had all that fish. They just left it. They just followed him, right? It's... it's in today's society, people don't think it's leave everything and follow me. They think it's, hey, Jesus, you want to you wanna come over here and walk with me? Like, that's what a lot of people want to do with Jesus. They think that adding Jesus into their life is saying, hey, wow, I really like what you offered, Jesus. I, I like the whole presentation. Uh, you want to come hang out with me and come be a part of what I'm doing? Like, I got my career. I've got my this. I've got that. And, and I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I've shared this before with many people, and some of you are probably new, so you might not have heard it. But I actually can point back to an actual prayer that began my ministry. Um, I've been doing street ministry my whole life, and I always went—I had the name True Christian, you know, ministry for a Facebook page. So like, I had that, but I never took it serious. But um, I read a book back in 2019. I don't know when it was. Um, It was a couple years ago. And it was a book called Forgotten God, and it was about the Holy Spirit. And in the book, he mentions something about a lot of times we as Christians are, in our prayers, asking God to be involved in our stuff. God, I need help here. I need help here. I need help here. Excuse me. I need this. I need that. And he said, how often do you come to God and offer yourself to him rather than always asking him of things? And he talked about saying, you know, Lord, instead of you being involved in what I'm doing can i be involved in what you're doing so i went and i said that prayer i said it from the deepest part of my heart and it's been uh, a roller coaster since and ministry is where i ended up and i'm not sitting here saying if you say that prayer guys you'll end up in a ministry not saying that at all but what i'm saying is we do live in a society where it's like you you find god and then you want god to be a part of your life like he's a tag along to your life when in the bible it's leave everything and follow me And I'm not sitting here saying, sell all your clothes. They didn't sell all their stuff, but they left what they were doing. They stopped what they were doing. Simon was fishing. Uh, uh, Matthew was working and they dropped what they were doing when the Lord saved them. And they followed him. But if you never dropped it, the things you were doing, the sinful things you were still holding on to, the lifestyle you were holding on to, like, let me be, can I be very honest with you? The gospel's not supposed to change your life. I know someone's gonna say, oh my goodness. Someone actually just clipped it. Let me finish though. This is why context is important. The gospel should never just change your life. It should completely destroy it because you're supposed to be dead on the cross with Jesus and what you have now should be a whole new life in Christ. The old you is dead and gone. It should not be an evolution, an add-on to, to, to change my life a little bit, a tweak. It's still the same me, but a little Christian now. No, it should be the old me is on the cross with Christ, dead in their sins, who walked away as a new living creature in Christ. This is a new life now. And it says, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors, and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And so if we're going to talk about these... um I keep feeling this yawn. Oh, there we go. Get out of me. Um, so when we talk about these uh, fasts, right? So in Jewish traditions, not all the fasts are actually mandatory according to the law. So in the law, yes, there was a mandatory fast. The two mandatory fasts that I can think of, and if I am wrong, someone correct me, but the Day of Atonement, uh, there's a fast that comes with that. And then extreme mourning, it is, it is without question. Now, on top of that, there's a lot of traditions, you know, Sadducees, Pharisees, with their different things. And those traditions uh, included a lot of different fasting, where they were fasting almost every week, right? So these, these Pharisees are sitting there saying, why, why, aren't, why don't y'all fast? And his response is very important, and, and it's a little confusing to some, so we're going to go through it as slow as I can without being too slow. He starts by saying, can you make wedding guests fast? while the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So first and foremost, Jesus is the bridegroom, right? And he is here uh, uh, coming to save his bride before, um, before the end days when the bride is presented to him. But he's come to save his bride, right? And this is the bridegroom in our presence, and he's mentioning about when I'm present, why would they fast, right? But when I leave, they will fast in those days. And based on also what he's going to continue to go on saying, we see a, a split up of the time frame of the Bible, right? In the Old Testament, we have the prophecy of his coming, and then the New Testament is technically after he came, right? If you really want to be honest about when Jesus comes, it's actually dead dead set in the middle, because we they wrote the New Testament after he already died, rose from the grave, whatever, right? Um, so... Jesus is right in the middle. That's when the bridegroom is here. Beforehand, it's awaiting his his uh, first appearance for him to come and be the Savior. The second appearance will be for the wedding and, and, and the new kingdom, right? And then he says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. So first of all, understand that you know when, you, when you're when you using these garments, they shrink, right? When you first wash it, it shrinks. So if you have a new garment that's never shrunk, never shrunk, and you take an old garment that has shrunk, and you cut the new garment and put it on the old garment, that new garment patch is going to shrink, and the old garment pa- uh, uh, pants are not, or cloth is not. So the patch is going to, I mean, what you just fixed, a new tear. And then the... New garment you just cut from is ruined, right? So Jesus says, is basically showing you these things were fine on their own, but by trying to mix them, trying to patch each other with with the two, you ruin them both. And then he literally jumps into the next parable, which is the exact same thing. He says, no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wine skins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. So if you know anything about this, that the wine expands. So therefore, in the um, if you put it in old wine skins, there's no more expansion from it. it. It'll pop. The new wine is on the ground. It's ruined. The old wine skin is destroyed. And again, though, he points to the fact that the old wine is fine. It's good. Because it's not like, oh, the old covenant's bad. Jesus is showing this parallel between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how they both had their purposes. They both had their purposes. And both are fine on their own, but if you begin to try and intertwine these two, you will cause both to be null and void. Both become pointless. And we see this all throughout Scripture as well. We see it in Hebrews chapter 10, which a lot of people think is the Bible saying you can lose your salvation. It's actually saying there is no longer old sacrifices. You can't go do other sacrifices. If you sin and you don't accept the gospel, there are no sacrifice for your sins. There remains none, because Jesus did away with that. Chapter six, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands Oh, and rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And this is one of those moments where, um, if you've been following me for a while, you've been—I sh- shared this 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 method with you. But if you notice in all the different gospels, you'll have very uh, the same stories being presented from different eyewitness uh, perspectives. So this is one of those stories that if you do all the Gospels together and read it in each one, it actually pieces this together in a very beautiful way, because there's things that Luke doesn't write down that, you know, Mark will write, etc., etc. Same thing with the Nazareth story. I've actually went through the entire Nazareth story Bible, uh, uh, gospel by gospel, right? So we, we don't see him saying here that the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath, right? But we know if you've read the Gospels that this is also mentioned, right? Um... This is the Pharisees, again, creating something that the Sabbath was not. And this is what cracks me up. This is honestly what cracks me up. When there are people today that are literally doing what the, what the Pharisees did. Like a complete lack of understanding of the Sabbath. A complete lack of understanding. Let me tell you what the Jews have done to the Sabbath. They have turned it into a harder work than the six days. Like your six days of, of working are not as hard as the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath has become a work to not work. For example, I've shared this before, but in Israel, if you want to take an elevator in a, in an office building on the Sabbath, there's a Sabbath elevator that hits every single floor because pressing that elevator button is a work. Are you serious? That, that's what you think God intended when telling you to keep holy the Sabbath, don't press an elevator button? And even here, they're hungry. They need to grab a little bit of food. And oh, oh, oh. Did you just heal on the Sabbath? Right before this, right? People that try and take, even today people will say, hey, why do you go to church on Sundays? Why don't you go on the Sabbath? Um, Where does the Bible ever say the Sabbath is the day you go to church? Because the Sabbath is the day of rest. Now, did the Jews go to synagogue on the Sabbath? Yeah, because they couldn't do anything else. Like, literally. what? Close my door the way. I said I don't care. Close the door. Um, The Sabbath, in in the scriptures, it's clear as a day. Keep it holy, rest. Keep it holy, rest. Well, what's the word holy? Set apart. So make that day set apart for you. And then rest. Make sure you get your rest. Nothing about the Sabbath in the scriptures describes it as this is the day you have to go to a congregation you have to worship. It's not the day of worship, it's the day of rest because every day should be my day of worship. If I could go to church on Saturdays and Sundays, then I would go both days. Um, some people do. Some people go three days a week. So I know people that go to church seven days a week. They go to a church that has uh, uh, services every day and they go every single day. It's mind-blowing. Don't let these legalists try and lock you into some type of law. First of all, Our God wants someone who shows up without a command. That's what love is. Love is the one who shows up without being asked to show up. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Ladies and gentlemen, these people still exist today and they're on TikTok all the time. They're watching every video that you make. If you're a content creator, they're waiting for something for you to say wrong. Did you hear that? They were watching so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Before he even does something to be considered guilty, they don't like him. So they're watching him to present something if anything comes up. And and if you speak enough or if you present yourself enough, if you do anything enough, there will always be moments for someone to try and twist it. This is why we should never believe what anybody says about anyone unless there's evidence for the fact and witnesses, or just you hear it out of their mouth. Because these people would do it to Jesus, so they'll do it to you. But he knew their thoughts. Here's what Jesus also has the one up, you and I don't. We don't know their thoughts. Jesus is like, oh, you think you're about to get me? And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. I love that, that shows Jesus was like, oh, you thinking in your head, that you're going to get me for something I'm not supposed to do. I'm about to do something you think I'm not supposed to do without you even uh, probing it. He said, and, he, and it says, he, he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to destroy it? So they didn't say nothing. Remember, they were thinking, it, <laughs> they were thinking about it. So Jesus calls dude up and asks him this. And then it says, after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. So he didn't even, he just looks around, no one answers, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus. They hated him. People say, Mike, what's blasphemy? Of the Holy Spirit? It has. Everything to do with intention. These people knew exactly what he was doing. They knew exactly who he was because he fits all the criteria of the Messiah. He wasn't the Messiah they wanted, though. They wanted a Messiah to show up with, uh, you know, kings, uh, a king outfit on, to conquer and slay their enemies. He came as a servant leader to die for the sins of the world. And to the uh, to the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. Verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named Apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And everybody listening on this live stream, I've got extremely bad news to you. Don't go thinking that this doesn't include you. If you live in the United States of America, we're rich and we're full. Don't ever let that be forgotten because if you slip into some complacency, you are exactly who he's talking to. Let us never stop loving people. Let us not cling to our wealth and our money. And I say, Mike, I don't have any wealth. Again, if you live in America, you have more wealth than you would ever understand. Even the homeless in America have it better than some people that aren't homeless in other countries. He says, but I say to you, who hears... Oh, sorry. But I say to you who hears, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back, and as you wish what others would do to you, do so to them. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Notice this isn't saying you can't judge. It's not saying you can't correct someone. He's teaching you how. Because the command afterward is, after you analyze yourself is what? Then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye out, because our goal should be to help your brother see, not make it look like you're blind and I'm not. It's not a look down; it's a look across and say, "Hey, can I give you? Can I help you out?" He goes on to say, "For no good tree bears bad fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit." for each tree is known by its own fruit. I love the way this is written. Uh, they, they extremely emphasize each and own, right? It, it, it's, it's driving it home to say each tree will be, uh, what am I looking for here? Sorry. Each tree is known by its own and the reason why it's capitalized in your bible if your if your bible has it capitalized because the greek was capitalized like this is legit an emphasis here and i stopped and if many of you that have been have been around for a little bit know that this is actually what caused me to write that thing i wrote um about what it means to bear fruit because this is the passage where i was sitting there like wait a minute because each tree is known by its own fruit that means These trees are individual on the level of fruit being different. People think fruit is an action, but fruit's not an action, because Jesus isn't a liar. He said no good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. Well, if fruit is an action, there's bad trees out there that do good things, and there's good trees out there that do bad things. It can't be the actual action. That doesn't work. What else could it be? Well, when we look at what a fruit is, a fruit is the product of the uh, of the processes that are happening inside of the tree. It is a product of what that tree is doing. And if it's a healthy tree, the fruit will be healthy. Hey, shut up, Joe. Hey, annoying. If it's a healthy tree, it will be healthy fruit. And if it's a sick tree, it will be sick. Uh, sick fruit. Things you can't see happening inside that tree play that part. But the fruit is a product, not an action. The action is happening inside that tree. So when it talks about you being the good tree, your fruit is the product. What are you? Uh, uh, what is the uh, the end goal of the things you do? Because if your end goal is always to bring people closer to Jesus then you will never bear bad fruit. You'll make bad decisions. You'll make mistakes. You will mess up. But the end goal is always to bring people to Jesus. So you'll never bear bad fruit. And if you don't know Jesus, no matter what good things you do, if you're not leading people to the one who gives eternal life, no matter what, You bear bad fruit because fruit has sustenance and it can give you nutrition for living like Jesus. So if I give people the Lord, then that is what gives them something that they can hold to and find nutrition in. But if you don't bring people to Jesus, all the good you do in this world is nothing. It's like eating a dirty apple. Might taste good for a moment, but something in there is going to hurt you. And just because you don't like someone else's fruits doesn't mean it's a bad fruit because a lot of fruits are different. Some fruits are sour, some fruits are sweet, some fruits are tart. The question is, is it a good fruit? Jesus doesn't say you will know a tree by how well you like their fruits. Is it a good fruit? I don't like uh, 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 melons, I don't like melons that much. I re- No, you know what, I don't like cantaloupe, but it's not a bad fruit. I, I-, I understand what it does for people So yeah, I might run across a Christian who, (laughs) I'm not a big fan of his presentation, but does he preach a sound gospel? Is he leading people to Jesus? Nothing else matters. It's good fruit. You might not like their tone. You might not like their style, but what makes it good fruit or bad fruit isn't that, it's what is the product? Is it bringing people to the truth of who Jesus is? Is it a sound gospel? Don't let others tell you your fruit has to look like their fruit. It's not about how much fruit. Some things produce little bits of fruit. Some produce big things of fruit. And the beautiful thing about fruit is fruit has seeds in it. And those seeds can bring forth more trees that therefore bring forth more fruit. So if you provide one good fruit, you might not have a bunch of fruits, but you provide a one good fruit and that seed can then go, go forth and plant another tree. And now those two trees are bearing fruit. And they bring forth two more trees. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about what other people's fruits are. What is your end goal with everything you do? Paul tells you all things you do, do so as if it was unto the Lord. That person at your job, treat them like you're treating Jesus. The annoying person, you know who I'm talking about. The person you try to ignore. Don't ignore them. Be loving. Be respectful. Be kind. Be a light. That person that you haven't gotten along with, that you haven't made amends with. That parent that you refuse to talk to, that brother. Bear fruit. Be loving. Forgive your enemies, even if they were in the wrong. You don't got to be friends with them to forgive, by the way, also. If someone's hurt you, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. You can 100% forgive someone and still be on guard. Jesus says, be as gentle as doves, but as cunning as a serpent. No one's saying be stupid. He says, figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So you see inside of that tree, there's something happening. Every tree you see every day, it looks like it's a still, boring, stuck tree. But inside is just cascades of... Biological mechanisms happening that make, you know, carbon dioxide, oxygen, all this stuff is happening. Likewise, the person you see is the outside of that tree, but inside that heart is doing something. And what will come from the the inside of that tree is how the fruit will come out. Is it good fruit or bad fruit? Likewise, that good heart or bad heart will produce because that's where selfishness comes in. People don't, I don't like the people that get online and they do the video where they, Bless somebody with $1,000. I love that people get blessed with the money. I despise the fact that people feel the need to record it. But Mike, it's for a good thing. You know what, it encourages people. Is that really what they're doing? Is that really? You wanna go there? Maybe, maybe a couple. Maybe a handful. But the rest ain't. Don't give because someone might know you gave. In fact, try your best to be as secret as possible. Heck, sometimes I question, should I even tell my wife I did something? Like if I do something in a day, run across somebody in need, um, I will normally tell her, but sometimes I'm like, ah, she doesn't need to know. right? It's Just between me and the Lord. Let your things be between you and the Lord. Let your reward be from the Lord and not from others' reactions. Unless the moment can truly teach. Like I said, if that's the case, then hey, If you can always teach, you can teach. Teaching lessons is important. Y'all know me. I like that. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, where is I at? I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because he had it had been built well, it had been well built, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So this is where we're ending today because I really want to dive deep on this because y'all know I love to talk about eternal security. Um, when you read this passage, you might just stop right there, but you see, uh, when you continue to read the scriptures, you start seeing things. Immediately, I think about First Corinthians chapter three where Paul says that he is laying a foundation, and that foundation is Christ, and nobody, once the foundation of Christ is laid, no one can remove it. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. You guys can go look at that if you want. And and you know what, just to help uh, for those that don't have access to the Bible right now, I'll read that passage uh, real quick, that little sentence, just so you can understand what I'm quoting. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Right? So the foundation of Christ, once it's set, we know cannot be changed. Now I want you to go back to what Jesus says. Now he also says this in Matthew 7. And then um, in Matthew 7, he actually gives three examples of, a, of an either or. He gives you the wide and the narrow path. He gives you the house on rock, house on sand, and then the good tree and the bad tree. Here, we just see the good tree and the bad tree, and then this house on rock and sand. But what I always find fascinating is there's people that say you can lose your salvation. But Jesus says the one who builds on the rock, the flood can come, the stream can break, the wind can go, and it says he, they could not shake it cannot shake it, because why? Not because of you. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with, your, with, with, with how you did anything to that house. It's about the rock that you established the house on. It is about Christ. This isn't a boast in me, oh, look at me, I can't lose my salvation because I'm so good. No, it's that the rock in which I find my hope, the rock in which I find my refuge, the shield that protects me from evil, the one who conquered death, that rock, nothing can cause any issues with it. But if you build that house upon sand, then anything can sweep it away. And this goes hand in hand with Matthew 13. When Jesus talks about the parable of the sower and he talks about some people's root doesn't catch root. It doesn't. And it it sprouts up with joy, but then the minute the sun heats up, it burns away. Because it never had root. It never had that source. It never was connected. And here he says it again. You can build upon the sand or you can build upon the rock. And it's not just about saying it. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Now, people love to take this and then flip his words and be like, oh, so you got to keep all 613? Stop it. You know what Jesus says? He gives us a couple commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor and believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Believe in the name. That's what Jesus tells us. And I can confirm that by going to 1 John chapter 3 where John literally lays out his commandments. People always say, Mike... How do we abide in Christ? How do we follow uh, 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 Christ's law? Because, you know, people tell me that we have to follow commandments. And I say, yes, no, we absolutely as Christians have to follow Jesus's commandments because I know what his commandments are. It's believe. So, yes, we have to believe. Read it. 1 John, go to chapter 3. Go to the end of the chapter. You can go to chapter, I mean, verse 22. It says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. People love to take this and be like, look, commandments, they're talking about all these commandments. No, 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 no. That's not how reading fundamentals go. The author can define his own terms. The very next verse says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So how do you abide in God? Love and believe. Love and belief. Love and belief. What is Jesus' commandments? Love and belief. Not, not 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 worldly love, by the way, either though. It's not a deep affection, a little tummy, a little butterflies in my stomach. We're talking about love, honesty dependability, reliability, selflessness, these things, that's a, that's a real thing. And, and you might say, Mike, that sounds workspace. No, 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 what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit will put love in you. That's why John goes on to say, if someone says that they love God, but then has it says that they have their, uh, the, the goods of the world and sees a brother in need, but does not help him, how does God's love abide in you? It's not about me being loving, it's about if I believed his love is in me. If you believe the Holy Spirit is in you, and his love will manifest, it will show. This isn't for you to analyze others either. Just it's for you to analyze yourself, to remind yourself what you need to be focused on. Build your house on that rock. And, and, I, and I think it's important to know that a lot of people that call themselves Christian have a foundation on sand. And the reason is actually going to surprise some of you. It's because you were... Raised Christian or maybe you were uh, you know you're, you're in your teenage years you were Christian But no matter what you ended up walking away from it for a period whether it's a year five years ten years whatever and The Lord saved you and you came back But when you came back you assumed that you're just taking back up where you left off and you assume that everything was fine before you left But the truth is some of you don't realize that the reason you left was because you had a bad foundation so instead of coming back and trying to resume, you need to go back to the beginning and check the foundation. Go, just go back to the beginning. And I, we talked about this in a podcast the other day. I think it's um, called The Foundation, if you want to watch it. It's on our YouTube. It's under The, the title is, the, uh, is Your Our Foundation or The Foundation. And we talked about just some key tips of if you came back to the faith, these are some things you should ask yourself to make sure that you have a foundation in Christ and that your foundation wasn't built on sand. Because a lot of times people come back and they don't evaluate what they believed. They just assume that they believed everything right and they're still on sand foundation and that's dangerous. Um, But yeah, guys, uh, this was a reading of the Gospel of Luke. I hope that it was uh, beneficial for some of y'all. I really appreciate you guys always tuning in and hanging out. I know some of you probably couldn't have made it to church today, so just wanted to read the word with you guys before I enjoy my day. that was just a couple chapters, you know. You can go into it, and I really suggest it to read it, and keep going. Um, tomorrow night's going to be an incredibly fun episode, so let me just go ahead and um, share with you tomorrow night's episode. Yes, I am recording right now, Tyler. Uh, so this will be up on Spotify in the next 20 minutes or so. Well, once I end this live, it'll be up um, as soon as I can. Hopefully, it sounds good. It looks like the the sound bars are moving pretty solidly. Um, but so tomorrow night, I convinced JD. Even though I've uploaded um, the debate discussion thing with that Jake guy, I said, hey, do you want to do a live reaction? So tomorrow night on the podcast, we're going to watch that debate, and it's going to be a live reaction. So it'll be the first time JD watches it. And he's going to be, first of all, if you want to see someone in pain, like this is, this is going to be it, because he's going to struggle. He's going to struggle with anger and pain. Um, but yeah, so we will be doing that tomorrow, uh, 8.30 Central. Um, but yeah, uh, what do you, what's what's going on, guys? We're kind of listening to the podcast. So the podcast is live on TikTok and YouTube, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, 8.30 Central. And then the audio podcast, old episodes or whatever, all the links are in my bio. You can watch old episodes on YouTube or you can listen to them on Spotify and Apple. These live streams get recorded, and put on the audio only. These don't go on YouTube. Uh, So, for example, this live stream will be on Spotify and Apple about 20, 25 minutes after uh, we get off here. Obviously, these ones are probably a little bit more difficult to listen to, I would imagine, because people can't see the comments, so they don't even know what I'm reacting to and and whatnot. Um, The Foundation episode, anywhere that all of our podcasts are at. Like I said, you can listen to old episodes either on YouTube or Spotify or Apple or SoundCloud. Links are all in the bio. Um, I think my YouTube is still open, actually, so I might be able to just tell you how far back the episode is. Nope, my YouTube's not open, so, sorry. (laughs) As far as everybody listening on Apple and Spotify, I don't wanna make this longer than it has to be. So while I finish up things here with everybody on TikTok, I wanna thank you for joining in and listening. I'm sorry that you missed the live stream. And maybe you didn't miss it. Maybe you were here and you wanted to go back and listen. Whatever the case may be, JD and myself greatly appreciate you guys just listening uh, for everyone that shares it. And also for those that pray for us, I know that we say it, but I don't think it gets said enough. The fact that you take the time to think about us in your prayers. Uh, We we greatly appreciate it. We love you guys and we thank you for everything that you do to help this ministry grow. Uh, May we all be able to work together to bring the Lord to someone every single day and make sure you guys continue to come on back and join us. Uh, See you guys Monday at 8.30 Central. God bless and go in peace.